Would you grab your Bible with me tonight? I believe the Holy Ghost would speak with us. If we would allow him to do so. He's been dealing with me. And um, I'm just going to tell you right now. It could be tonight that everything I'm sharing with you is me talking to me. Is the Lord dealing with me? And so you may just, not may, you do, however much you choose, have to walk this road with me tonight. All right? Can we do that? Can we walk this road together tonight? Amen. Go with me, please, to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 8. I knew it was cool when we walked in, but I knew it wouldn't stay that way. I know some... I didn't look around because I knew when I turned that air on right there, some of you might have gave me a dirty look if I'd have looked around. But warms up in here quick. And the unique thing right now is downstairs where the thermostat is, it's probably below 65. And so if we turn the air on, we'd have to turn it down to like 62 to get it to get cooler up here. So hence the reason we have these. And so if you get really warm and you feel yourself nodding, you're near a window, just slide it up a little bit and you'll be cool in a moment. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter number 8. I have a question for you. How many of you would like to be a disciple of Christ? Anybody interested in being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? I have another question for you. That one was sort of a setup. Don't raise your hand on this one, okay? Just ponder. How many of you say, well, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? All right, Mark chapter 8. I have said it multiple times the last couple of months, it seems like, that the way I feel the Lord dealing with us is because of where we are in time, where we are in time. If you look at the Old Testament, you look at the prophets, and you look at them chronologically, you understand the Bible is not in chronological order, but if you look at them chronologically and you read the prophets according to chronology, and the closer you get to Christ you realize the tenor changes in their communication. And so, and, and there was 400 years of silence. Um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so, I feel the tenor of the Lord changing, and I believe it's because of where we are in time. And so, He's inviting us to places with a sense of urgency that I haven't felt in my life. And so Mark chapter 8, let's start there with verse number 31. Just to give you, yeah, yeah, Mark 8. I'm like, that's not Mark, that's John. There we go. Mark 8 and verse 31. And to give you context without reading the first 30 verses of Mark 8, Jesus and his disciples have been in Caesarea Philippi. And there Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say I am? And, of course, the revelation that he was the Messiah, the living God, is spoken by Peter. Okay? And so at that revelation, you see that now. And then verse 31. He, he is Jesus Christ, he began to teach them. Once they had the revelation of who he was, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and, this isn't sounding good, is it? And be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes. And they went from bad to worse. He went from suffering to rejection and be killed. And after three days, rise again. You want to talk about going from a place of revelation and wow to whoa. Talk about a showstopper, you know, like Debbie Downer or whatever you want. Can you imagine how the disciples felt like 
Moments ago, Peter had this revelation. He declares it, the illumination to the disciples with the recognition, with Peter speaking out those words of revelation. And then he begins teaching them. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected. You know who I am. See, this is why it was important that he asked the question, do you know who I am? Who do you say I am? Because if you know who I am, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to, underst- you're going to work through. Does that make sense? You endure some things if you believe he's God. You'll stay the course on a journey no matter how difficult when you get a revelation of who he is. You'll walk through some things, through some fire and some valleys and and stay the course when you have a revelation of who he is. It's not coincidence that Jesus asked them, who do you say I am, before he began to teach them these things. That's why it's so important that we know who he is. All right? So he shares that, verse 32. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter, watch, Peter, the one who had had the revelation, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he, Jesus, had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. I want to pause right there. Keep your, keep your Bible open because we're going to pick up and keep reading here in a minute. But I want to stay on verse number 33 for a moment. Because what Jesus says here in this moment in this context that we've just described, is critical not only for what he said, but for what he's getting ready to say. Now, don't read ahead. you got to stay with me. Remember, I said we got to walk this journey together. Peter's had revelation, but now Peter's under- learned some things that Jesus said is going to happen. And Peter steps from spiritual revelation to fleshly emotion and human reasoning. And he hears that Christ is going to suffer. He hears that Christ is going to be rejected. And then he hears that Christ is going to be killed. And he does not like the sound of any of that. The suffering, the rejection, the death. And therefore he rebukes. He comes to the defense of Jesus. But when he comes to the defense of Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter. And when he rebukes him, notice what Jesus reveals with his statement. He reveals something to Peter that speaks to our very human nature that we have to understand. You understand there's a bit of Peter in all of us. Probably a lot of Peter in all of us. Let's just be real, right? He was human. We're human. And he addressed the problem with why he said, Get behind me, Satan. What was the challenge that Peter was having to deal with that Christ was addressing? Peter, here's the problem. This is why I've rebuked you. Peter, you savor not the things that be of God, but you savor the things that be of men. Now I have a question for you. Did Peter not savor the things of God? What do you think? I I, I think he did, but apparently the reason, not apparently, definitely, the reason he was rebuked was because he savored the things of men more than the things of God. You with me? And so when the Lord Jesus rebuked him, he saw it this way. You savor the things that be of men, not the things that be of God. And we see this clear declaration from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't savor both. You're either going to seek to please men or you're going to seek to please God. 
This is a critical statement. Peter, he didn't call him Peter. He called him Satan. Why? Because he wasn't addressing just Peter alone. He was addressing a spirit of this world that would cause someone to savor the things of men more than savor the things of God. What does it mean to savor? Usually I think savor, I think, okay, that's like not sweet. That's savor. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Literally, that word there to savor means to direct one's mind to a thing. To direct one's mind to a thing. To seek or strive for. To seek one's interests or one's advantage. To be of one's party. To side with him or her. Peter, Satan, you don't savor the things that be of God. Here's what he said. You don't direct your mind to the things that are of God. You don't seek or strive for the things of God. You don't seek the interests or the advantage of God. You don't seek to be of God's party. You don't seek to side with God. But rather, you seek to direct your mind towards that which pleases men. You seek or strive for that which pleases men. You seek the interest or the advantage of men. You seek to side with men. That's what he said when he used that word savor. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? You can see why he said, I rebuke you, Satan. That is the spirit of this world. The God of this world. And this is why there is this battle and this war that Paul called it in our members. This war between am I going to live after the things of God or am I going to live after my flesh? Am I going to pursue the things of this world or am I going to pursue the things that are eternal? What am I going to savor? Where am I going to direct my mind? Where am I going to seek or strive for? Where are my interests and my advantages going to lie? Whom am I going to side with? Notice, this came up after they acknowledged that they knew who he was. See, when somebody doesn't know what he is, they're just blinded and they're going to serve the God of this world. But once we get the revelation of who he is, we have to confront this in our walk. If we're going to be a disciple, am I going to savor the things that be of God or am I going to savor the things that be of men? I don't get to do You say, well, it doesn't say that. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, verse 34 still, watch. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus addressed the issue of where we direct our mind, savoring. Where we put our interests, who we side with. And then he came to this declaration of being his disciple and he said whoever will come after me I have a question once we recognize who he is and we get the revelation of who he is we have to make a decision am I going to follow him or not right that's the very basic element of being a disciple Am I going to follow him or not? It's one thing to follow somebody that you don't even know who they are. But once you get the revelation of who he is, that Jesus Christ was the mighty God in the flesh, 
to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Once you get the revelation of who he is, you're now faced with the decision, will I follow him? And Jesus said, whoever will come after me, this is the first thing you have to do. Deny self. It's the first thing. If you're going to follow me, do you see how that ties back with his rebuke of Satan? You don't savor the things that be of God. You savor the things that be of men. If you're going to follow me, Peter, if you're going to follow me, disciples, you got to deny yourself. you got to deny savoring those things that be of men. There's got to be a change of where you direct your mind. There's got to be a change of your interest. There's got to be a change of who you side with. There's got to be a change of who you seek to please. And notice, when we were reading it back there, when we were reading about what we savored in verse 33, it was easy to think about the things that be of God and the things that be of men and think about God as who he is, but think about men as other people. But Jesus brought it right down, Peter, disciples, not just the things that be of men, but the things that be of you because you're a man. You got to deny yourself. You're either going to savor the things that be of God, or can I say it this way? You're going to savor the things that be of self. You're going to direct your mind towards the things of God, or you're going to direct your mind towards the things of self. You're going to seek and strive for the things of God, or you're going to seek and strive for the things of self. And you understand, that's what Peter was doing, which is why he was rebuked. Because Peter came to the defense of saving the man, Christ Jesus. When he said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. Peter said, no, i got to save self. i got to save the humanity. And Jesus said, I rebuke you, Satan. Why? Because he understood the purpose was losing self, dying to self. That's how the plan of God is going to be fulfilled. And if you're trying to get me to preserve myself, then you're working contrary to the will of God. And that tells me you savor the things of men more than the things of God. And if I am seeking to preserve my life, if I'm seeking to preserve and direct my mind towards the things of self, how can I better self? How can I grow self? How can I improve for self? How can I get more for self? How can, then I'm not denying self and I'm savoring the things that be of men rather than the thing. This was the beginning of Jesus saying, if anyone will come after me. It starts with denying self. That word deny that Jesus used wasn't just any word. It literally means to forget one's self. To lose sight of one's self. And to lose sight of one's own interests. Anybody want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I feel so distinctly the love of God beckoning us. Will you deny yourself? We are a self generation more than we've ever been. Especially in North America. Can I give you just a real example? Is that okay? Ethan and I were here early. We were visiting, talking about things of the Lord. We got here probably about 4.30. We've been visiting, talking about different things from the word and the work of the kingdom. And we've been here about an hour. 
I said, you know, I'd like a cup of coffee. Want to drive me down? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. He said, yeah, sure. Now, don't worry, I'm not getting ready to preach against coffee if you got nervous. My point is, especially in North America, if we want something for self, we usually just find a way to get it. We don't make a habit of denying self. Is that a true statement? And, I mean, like, we don't, we don't practice denying self. I, I realize that's a broad brushstroke. Okay, like I said, I'm, I'm probably talking to me, and you just got to walk this journey with me tonight. But, but we don't make a practice of denying ourselves. Right? I got a sweet tooth. I'm just going to go to the refrigerator or to the pantry. I am. And Brother Rigo's laughing at me, but. <laughs> I, I don't, we don't deny self. We don't make a habit of denying self. You're tired. You've had a long day. You know what? I'm just going to plop down on the couch. I don't know what you do in your evenings. And I'm going to, are you going to deny self? Or are you going to say, you know what, right now I'm really just going to direct my mind to my interest, to my things. You say, you mean the Lord doesn't want me to have coffee or sweets? No, you understand what I'm saying. The Spirit of the Lord is beckoning us. To a denying of self-interests. To a denying and losing sight of ourself. Do you know why the church can become so blinded to the world? I'm not so sure that it's blindness to the world as much as it's focus on self. And let me tell you what happens that's a caution we must guard ourselves against in a place of prayer is even in living for God, I start going, I'm just trying to be better myself. I'm wanting God to bless my life. I just want to make my life better. And it's subtle. It's very subtle. But if I'm not careful, even living for Him... My interest turns inward and self-focused. Would you pray with me just for a moment before we go further? Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. We must, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, as His disciple, we must learn and practice denying self. We got to learn to tell ourselves no. You know why you You know why some people deal with so much condemnation in their walk with God is because they never deny themselves. We have scripture for that. Romans 8 verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. To them who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Why do I deal with condemnation if I'm living for God? I'll tell you why we deal with condemnation if we're living for God. Because I'm walking after the flesh, not after the spirit. That becomes the indicator. I'm, I'm walking to satisfy flesh. I'm not denying self. Now, don't worry. We're, we're going to turn here in the word. The word you're going to see a turn in the word. But the Holy Ghost is beckoning us to step into this. Step into denying of self because there's something on the other side of it. But what the adversary does, the adversary paints this picture of how much this is going to cost because the adversary really doesn't want us to get to what's on the other side of denying self. And so if I can keep you focused. If I'm the adversary and I can keep you and I focused on satisfying myself, being, here's what you well, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? No. <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny because how some of you are thinking and looking at me right now. Like some of you just got like this, I just blew your theology up. What? God does want me to be happy. No, he doesn't. That's not his concern. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He wants you to be a part of his body and use you for furthering his kingdom in the earth. Happiness is not his primary motivator. That's the flesh's motivator. I didn't say you wouldn't be happy. But see, it's the deception of this world. Happiness comes when self is satisfied. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Read Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. Solomon had everything he could ever want. And a whole lot more than he needed. Anybody who has 700 wives and concubines has a whole lot more than they need. He said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. He understood no matter what. I, he was the wealthiest that ever lived. He had all these things, but he wasn't. He realized it doesn't satisfy. I just, you get more. And the more someone gets, the more they want. And uh, never satisfied. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm going to say that again. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just gain, great gain. But the adversary keeps us focused on the things of, why do you think marketing, what does it appeal to? Self, 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 self. It's the God of this world opposing the living God. I'm trying to move past this part. I know there's a lot more. Right? So we must deny self. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I've got to start by denying self. Now we are all evidence and know that God is long-suffering. He's merciful. He's patient. He deals with us and draws us to Himself. But the victory and the power and the anointing and the purpose that he intends for each and every one of us to walk in individually and collectively will never be fully realized until we come to this place where he's talking about that we deny self, where our interests shift fully to what is his interest. Our desire, our schedule becomes his schedule. Our time becomes his time. Our pursuit becomes his pursuit. He rules and reigns in every element of our life because I'm denying self. Now watch, that was only the first part. Once I've denied self, I then have to, he said, take up his cross. Literally means to take upon oneself and carry what has been raised, to bear it. Some things I have to learn to bear. 
got to learn to bear them. Not talking about sin. Hear me, I'm not talking about sin. He came to deliver us free from sin. But there are some things God in His infinite wisdom and power and His ability and desire and knowledge of how to use us says there's some things they've got to bear for me to use them, for me to keep them saved. The Apostle Paul dealt with some things, and the Bible says that he, he besought the Lord three times. Take it away from me. Take, the Bible says it was a thorn in his what? Aha, not his spirit. It was in his flesh. Something that was eaten at his flesh. Now, it doesn't tell us what it was. It may have been, it may have been a physical infirmity. It may have been a, a fleshly desire that he kept battling with constantly. Again, I'm not talking about sin. Maybe been trying to tempt him to sin. But whatever it was, he prayed, Lord, take it from me. And clearly the Lord responded to him and said, no. You got to bear that. You got to bear what you're bearing. Why? Because, Paul, I need you to know my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is perfected in your weakness, Paul. And he needs us, so we have to bear some things. We have to bear some things. The older I get, and I am getting older just like all of you. The older I get, my prayer has changed when I'm dealing with stuff or going through something. I used to always pray for deliverance, fix it God, change it God, deliver me Lord, do this instead of that. My prayer now is almost always, unless I just get clear direction that, hold on a minute, this isn't God at all, then I'll just, we'll just take authority. But it's God, okay, Lord, I want to know your purpose in this. I want your purpose in this. I want whatever this is supposed to do in me for your kingdom, let it be done. Let your purpose be accomplished through this. And so this is part of taking up your cross that Jesus is talking about. But then he said, follow me. Want to be his disciple? Be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Deny yourself. Bear the things that you're called to bear and follow him. Follow him. What does that mean? Just one step after the other? Well, kind of, sort of, but just a little more. To you, the word that he used, cleave steadfastly. It doesn't mean like follow from a distance and see what happens. It means I'm right there with you. I'm not letting you get away from me. I'm following close on your heels. I got a dog my house. Anybody want a dog? Just chicken. Brother Gabriel and Sister Sandra. She said yes. Whew. Sorry, I digress. Sorry, that was self. Um, no. Like, there's times where this, I'm going somewhere, or my wife's going somewhere, and I mean, he doesn't like follow at a distance. He's like, I mean, I'll step on him every once in a while. I'm like, what's your own fault? Get out from under my feet. I mean, he, he follows close. I, I sort of, that, come, that mental picture comes to my mind when I read this word here and what the Lord Jesus used. It's to cleave. It's not following from a distance and watch and see, do I want to go that way or not? That's how some of us follow. Right? I'm going to follow. Ooh, hold on. <laughs> I don't like where you're going. You know, that's exactly what happened to the disciples. When they came to the Garden of Gethsemane and took Jesus, they followed afar off. That wasn't the word he used here. Why did they follow afar off? I'll tell you why they followed afar off. They knew he was going to die. They knew what he said. And they feared that they might die too. And therefore, they did not want to follow too closely. And therein we see the challenge you and I face when we don't follow him like he asked us to. The word follow that he used here is to cleave steadfastly to one, to conform wholly and completely to his example in living and, if need be, in dying also. I'm just going to follow. Don't raise your hand because I know the answer anyway. Because you're as human as I am. 
You ever made you ever made this statement? I don't know if I like where this is going. And you were talking about God leading you somewhere. And you could see it and your humanity is going, oh man, I don't like where this is going. You got to decide. I'm going to follow him steadfastly. I'm going to cleave. I'm going to cleave. Yeah, but if what he's leading me, then so be it. Lead me, Lord, I will follow is the song we sang, right? Lead me, Lord, I'll follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. I want to follow so closely that if he stops, I run smack into his back, proverbially speaking. I want to follow so close that if he turns, I start turning the moment he does. I want to follow so close. You understand, this is what he described here when he said, and follow me. It was to follow closely, steadfastly, right up with, in living, in following his example, and even if need be, in dying also. And this was simply to be his disciple. Now watch. Verse 35 and 36, and I hasten to finish. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. See, if my focus is self in this life, I'm going to lose my I'm going to lose my life ultimately. But Jesus said, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And this is what the adversary doesn't want us to see. If I lose my life, if I deny myself and follow him, there's something beyond that's far more valuable than what I'm pursuing in this temporal world. Where's my phone? I want to read this quickly in the Amplified. Mark chapter number 8. These same verses, I'm just going to start at verse uh, 33. But turning around, his back to Peter and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have a mind intent on promoting what God wills. You do not have a mind intent on promoting what God wills. But what pleases men, you are not on God's side, but that of men. And Jesus called to him the throng with his disciples and said to them, If anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, forget, ignore, disown, and lose sight of himself and his own interests, and take up his cross, and joining me as a disciple and siding with my party, follow with me, continually cleaving steadfastly to me. For whoever wants to save his higher spiritual eternal life will lose it, the lower natural temporal life, which is lived only on earth. And whoever gives up his life, which is lived only on earth, for my sake and the gospels, will save it, his higher spiritual life, in the eternal kingdom of God. What would happen? What would happen? If you and I began a practice of seeking the face of God and obeying Him in the denying of self, what would happen? What would happen if I began looking at areas in my life and go, you know what? I'm going to, you understand, this is what fasting is. Fasting is a form of denying self, it's saying to my flesh, Hold on a minute. I'm not giving what you want. I'm denying you what you want. Because I hunger for spiritual things more than satisfying my flesh. Now the Lord knows you and I have to eat. Let me give some of you revelation. You can miss a day or two without eating and you will still live.
There are some things that you can completely, this may shock you, but you can live without Hollywood. And you can probably decide whether that's of God or of the God of this world. What do I savor? Where do I direct my mind? Where do I direct my interests? Part of being his disciple. All right. There really is a call from the Lord. There really is in this hour. It's because of his desire to use us. You know how he used Peter. Because we have the rest of the story. But he knew the only way I can use Peter the way I intend to is he gets this principle. He's going to have to deny himself. He's going to have to be willing to lose his life following me. We read about Peter and we read about Paul and we're like, man, anybody ever thought, man, I wish God would use me like Peter? Nobody else but me. Okay, thank you, Brother Jerry. I mean, have you read this book? Peter walked down the street on a sunny day. And as he walked down the street, the sun hit him and his shadow was over here. And his shadow passed over sick people and they were healed. And people knew it so much so that they brought people on couches and laid them in the street simply so his shadow would pass over them. That does not happen feeding self, pursuing self-interest, seeking his own will. He knew, Peter, you got to get this. If you'll deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you'll lose your life for my sake, Peter, you'll find it. I have a desire and a destiny set on your life. But it's not going to happen without denying self. And I hear the beckoning of the Spirit of God pleading and reaching to a church, especially in North America, that has become so intoxicated with self that says if we will deny ourselves, get our mind and our spirit redirected toward Him, get our interest back on Him, lose interest in self and earthly things, that He would begin to use us in this hour like never before. Because hear me, He's going to use somebody for end time harvest. But do you think for a moment that he would have a different criteria for using the end time church than he had for using the first day church? I don't think so. He expected them to deny themselves. He expected them to take up their cross. He expected it so much that he made sure they understood that before they decided to be his disciple. You say, man, that's harsh. No, no, no. It was the love of God because of how he desired to use them. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have no interest in holding my hand over a fire and having a viper jump on and latch on. No interest. Thank God that was Paul. He can have all that. I know he didn't plan that. He just shook it off. Why didn't he go, oh my goodness, pray for me right now? No self-interest. I'm going to talk about getting to an end of self. No self-interest. Ain't got time for that. Shook it off. Sorry for those of you that, that's how I, I, right? I can't be distracted by it. Shook it off. God used him in a mighty way. An angel of the Lord had stood by him before he ever got there and said, you're going to live and everybody on this ship. He had a confidence in that. How could he have a confidence as a prisoner on a ship in a storm when the ship is breaking apart? He wasn't interested in preserving his life. He was interested in the kingdom of God. And he had a word from God. 
So his circumstances didn't affect him. You know why some of us are so tossed about by our circumstances? Because we have so much self-interest. That the adversary knows I can disrupt their circumstances and it'll get their focus back on them rather than the kingdom. And they'll go into protect self mode. The Lord's beckoning us. Because he wants to use us. He wants to use us. I believe there are people in this room that can be used just like Peter, where the shadow of yours passing over people can heal them. I believe that. Because God's not a respecter of persons. Now, let's read two other places and finish. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Notice Paul's admonition. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. See that? But unto him which died for them and rose again. See, the purpose of the love of God drawing us to him is so that I'll stop living for myself and I'll live unto Him. That doesn't mean just live for Him. It's live unto Him. In other words, He now owns my life. My living is in Him. He directs my day. He directs my thoughts. He directs my conversation. He directs me on the job, in the home. He directs me. He directs you. This only comes when I'm willing to deny myself and lose my life. Question, how many of you would like God to direct every step of your day? Any, anybody interested in that? How many of you would like to go through your day where you're like, I know God led me through this day, the appointments, the conversations. Anybody interested in that type of Another question. How many of you think God wants to do that with each one of us? So why doesn't he? I mean, is he not able? Why doesn't he? I'll tell you why he doesn't. You know the answer. Because I haven't denied self. I'm still pursuing my interests. But do you know how wonderful it is? I think most of us have experienced it somewhere along the way, right? When you've gone through a day and you're like, man, that was God in the grocery store. That was God at the gas pump. That was, wow. Interaction after interaction, encounter after encounter. God directed my day. Is that living or what? That's living. Absolutely it's living. Is that joyous? Absolutely it's joyous. How does it benefit me? I get the joy of knowing I pleased him. I get the joy of knowing I was used by him. I get the joy of knowing I fulfilled his purpose. I get the joy of knowing he used me to advance his kingdom somehow. And to him be all glory and honor and praise. That's what the adversary doesn't want you to know. Just focus on denying self. Oh, poor me. Look at what I'll lose. Look at what. But <laughs> Something on the other side. If you lose your life for his sake, you find it. You find it. I no longer live to self. I live to him. Last verses. Revelation 12. Please stand with me. Revelation 12. Verse number 10. 
And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. What a day that will be. And the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What a day. I'm planning on watching that. And be cast down. But watch. And they overcame him. By the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives. Unto the death. People often quote the first two. They don't usually quote the third part. Usually they quote. If I would ask some of you, it would have been like, oh, yeah, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's what people always quote. Why don't they finish it? Because nobody likes the last part. I'd like to just overcome by the blood and my testimony. But I'd prefer to keep my life. And that's exactly the challenge. We want to overcome by his blood and by a testimony. But true victory, ultimate victory in overcoming, also requires not loving my life, even if it means death. Why was Jesus willing to lay down his life? Love? Sure wasn't self-love, was it? He loved us. So love motivated him. See, love's a great motivator. Love's a great motivator. He also understood, if I lay my life down, it will be a ransom for many. He came and knew the realization. The losing of my life is the saving of many lives. And if God, by his great grace, can give us that revelation and understanding, if you and I, by his leading and instruction, would lay down our lives, it will be the saving of many lives. But I don't get to save my life. But there's a trade that's far more valuable than saving my life. It's the lives of many. Would you talk to the Lord right now?